Welcome to this episode of the Future Champions podcast. My name is Stuart Taylor, and this is part two of a two-part interview with Amanda Christensen, where Amanda continues to share Cooper's journey and the pain they felt in having to accept that Cooper Christensen would die from one of the most aggressive forms of brain cancers any person could ever have to face, let alone a young child. How long did the treatment last? So all they can do is 30 rounds of radiation. So that was um, six weeks of radiation because you got weekends. And because it, Cooper's went over Christmas. So obviously we got Christmas Day off, New Year's, you know. So six weeks in total of radiation treatment. Then we were allowed to go home. And then he had to have another MRI a month later to see if it made any difference. We had that MRI. And it had shrunk a small amount, not as much as what they had hoped, but it did shrink a little bit. So that was when we made the decision to hop in Michael's mum and dad's motorhome. And we thought we'd just try and make some memories. So we went on a little road trip for a few months and tried to take Cooper to as many places to see things as we can. So, and um, we got as far as Adelaide and then we started noticing that he was starting to get, you know, wobbly, complaining of headaches, needing to sleep all day, wasn't eating. Mm. So we rang Cooper's team up here at Harvey Bay and we said, look, this is what's going on. And they said, yeah, you've got to come home. So we um, packed up again, came home, had another MRI. He was coming back. You can't do any more radiation though. You've just got to manage it. So... Yeah, it was just a matter of keeping on top of it at that point. So it was just back on the medication because we obviously, he was doing so well. So we weaned him off all the steroids. But once it started coming back, it was just take some more medication and we just got to keep monitoring him. There was at one point they thought because Cooper, obviously he surpassed the six to nine months. So we'd passed that and then we were on borrowed time technically. So they told us. Technically, he'd only have six to nine months, maybe 12. Well, we got past that and um, we knew we were on borrowed time at that point. So when the tumour started rearing its ugly head again, we thought at that point that maybe we could put a shunt in to drain some of the fluid because it was the swelling that was causing him the problems. So they said they wanted to do one more MRI and we went to Brisbane to Lady Salento well, the Children's Hospital, it's not called that anymore. And um, they did the MRI and they just, we walked out of there and they said, no, we can't do it. It's grown even more in two weeks. So in two weeks, it had just grown to a point where they just went, no, it's just time to go home. So we came home and then Cooper just started declining quite quickly after that. That's when he got to the point where he was, we had to put him in a wheelchair because he couldn't walk. Then he obviously he couldn't do that. So then he had to have a catheter put in and then there was troubles with that. And so then they taught me how to fix that at home instead of taking him up to the hospital all the time. And and then because of where the tumour was in the ponds, it controls all of your normal day-to-day functions, you know, talking, walking, swallowing, all those sorts of things, vision, speech. 
and I noticed Cooper was having trouble even holding onto his fork, so I knew that his motor function was going as well. So we could see that it was starting to rear its ugly head and um like Ellie, like and Cooper was quite smart. He knew that he was changing and because of the steroids, one of the side effects is they just balloon. They put on so much weight. He he just was still Cooper, but he didn't look like Cooper. Like he put on so much weight. His skin was stretching and, you know, you'd buy clothes and then they wouldn't fit and you'd be buying bigger clothes. And it got to the point where even he was like, you know, I'm not doing too good. You know, I'm not doing really great. You know, one day he, towards not long before he passed away, actually, it was probably about three weeks before, just out of the blue one night, he um he he just asked the question that I was praying he would never ever ever ask me, and um he he asked me if he was going to you know am I going to die, and um and before that because he'd always been sort of asking and I'd be like no 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 you know because I was like I'm not having this conversation, but uh yeah that point. I made the the decision to have a really <clears throat> honest conversation with him. And I just said, you know, we all do at all different times, you know, because he'd seen his grandparent pass away and we'd always had this thing where he'd, if ever he missed his Poppy Christie, he wanted to get a balloon, he'd write a note and he'd let it go to Poppy Christie up in heaven. So he knew about heaven. He'd been to, you know, both his grandparents' funerals and, um, yeah, and I just said, you know, sometimes it's because we're sick or, you know, we have an accident or, you know, sometimes we're old or, you know, we're little, but, you know, we all will go to heaven one day. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah. He said, I just don't, you know, I just don't want you and daddy to be sad when I'm gone. And I'm like, this is a kid who's six. Like, he's six at this point. He was diagnosed at four and he turned six. I I just remember, I can't believe I'm having this conversation at like three in the morning it was. It was just like something obviously he was playing on his mind and he needed to ask the question, I don't know. But I'm so now grateful because three days later he couldn't talk anymore. He'd lost that ability, couldn't do any of that. So, um yeah, and then, yeah, we lost him three weeks later. <laughs> Are you comfortable talking about his passing or? Um, I think that's just something that sticks with us here because it was a really private, mm. private family here at home. When did you accept that he would, he would die? When he took his last breath. I still held out hope right until the very end. Yeah. I don't think it's something that you um, you can be staring at you right in the face and I don't think you ever really want to believe it. So, yeah, not until that very moment. I think a part of me was still hanging on. Mm. So. And then you have to say goodbye to him. Mm-hmm. Cooper passed away on the 25th of July, 2015. 
and then we had his funeral on the 30th of July. So, yeah, it all happened and, yeah, we're coming up to six years next month. So, it was nearly two years from the date. One year, yeah, one year. um, Nine months. One year, yeah, one year. Eight months and 26 days, something like that. We were very lucky. We got way much more time than some families don't even get the six months. You know, they get diagnosed and they're gone in four months, you know. We know a family that, yeah, they didn't even make three months after they were diagnosed. So I I think we were extremely lucky with the time we had. I want to ask you about that time from where <clears throat> you had to let the physical Cooper go mm. and you were here. Mm-hmm. How did you heal or have you healed? I think, um, I think honestly, I think to some degree we're still healing. I don't think it's something that's a quick, easy fix. I think some days... Some days are better than others. Some days it just hits you like it happened yesterday. Um, I know certainly, speaking for myself, I know Michael and I both handle it very differently. We both grieve differently and that happens, from what I understand, a lot. Um, But I think the biggest thing is we've supported each other. We have each other's backs and... At the end of the day, we both lost our son. Yeah, I just think, really, we just take each day as it comes. That's the only way is I made a promise to Cooper that I would still get up every morning, even if I didn't want to. And I would get up and I would still do what needed to be done every day. I wouldn't, you know, Cooper had a saying, it's okay, we won't ever give up. I was like, no, we won't. And I just have to try and remember that. You just got to keep going. You just can't give up. Were there days that that was hard to honour that promise? Still is. Yeah. Still is to this day. And I don't know, honestly, if – I don't think it'll – it'll never go away, but I think it gets a little easier over time, but it will never go away. I want to talk about your your book and one of the things that's – Maybe you can tell me why you wrote it, but before you do, one of my observations about it, other than it was a very emotional book to for me to read, and even reading it, I didn't understand. I didn't even understand about the mask going over over the face and mm. what that meant. Mm. And so me reading that as an adult for the first time, mm-hmm. I had no idea the complexity and the, the, the fear that that could create for a child, mm-hmm. yet... These are children who are going through it who know even less about the process. Mm, exactly. Um, can you talk to me what led you to write this book? Even though like our experience with Cooper and that moment sitting in that room, having them trying to explain with Cooper with this little stuffed toy and I'll have to show you the photo because you won't believe it when I show you. But that's all they had. And it wasn't till. It was coming up to a year we went to a Kubrain Cancer Foundation gala ball in Brisbane. And through fate, we ran into this gentleman who was had his suitcase. Michael and him got talking. And, you know, Michael told him about us and Cooper. And he's like, oh, well, I went to that 
cure brain cancer book because I lost my mate in January. And he's like, oh, you really need to get in contact with his wife. I'm going to, if you're happy, I wouldn't mind getting you two in contact. And I was like, oh, no, that's fine. No problem. Anyway, sure enough, oh, a couple of weeks later, I get this phone call and she's like, oh, hi, my name's Carolyn. I think you met up with my friend of mine, you know, after the ball. We spoke on the phone for over an hour and she told me about her husband, Mike, who had just passed away from brain cancer and that she started this charity. She was telling me all about it and she said, oh, I'd love to keep in contact, you know. It's like, yeah, sure. And we, and we did. So I was in contact with her. She, I told her because I was holding my very first walk for brain cancer which was going to be on Coop's birthday. And she actually surprised me, rocked up in Harvey Bay. I've never met her either. I've talked to her on the phone. And she rocked up with this huge Martian. And she gave me this tiny little one. She goes, oh, this is our character, like for our charity. He's our mascot. I'm giving you the first one. His name's Mikey the Martian. I was like, oh, excellent. That's cool. Thanks. So. We met for the first time. She did the walk. And even now, like I look back at the photos and I'm holding this little Mikey the Martian. And we kept in contact, obviously. And she was telling me after the walk, she was telling me how when Mike had done his radiation, he came out and he said, oh my God, Kaz, that was the scariest thing that I have ever gone through. And he said, little kids are dealing with this. Like little kids are having to do what I've just done. He said, they're strapping me to a table, you know, like he couldn't fathom it. And he said, I want you, I want to help the kids. He's like, I want to go and help the children. He's like, I want to go and see the kids. And she's like, well, you can't just walk into a children's ward. He's like, well, we've got to help them. We've got to do something. So they had started the charity when Mike was obviously still alive and his wish was to help the kids fighting brain cancer somehow, some shape or form. So Carolyn, the book idea originated with Carolyn and she was like, right, we're going to do this. So we got an illustrator, um, Nikki Johnson and Coral Vass is an author as well. They're both in Melbourne. And so then the plan hatched, we're going to do this book. And we're going to have it about, you know, brain cancer to help the kids because I told Kaz and I showed her the photos of what, you know, we were given. And um, I was like, she's like, nah, we've got to fix this. So two years of hard work and um, a lot of brainstorming and we have a book. So, and the yeah. title of the book? title of the book is Where the Magic Happens. And it's a story of a little boy named Cooper who goes to the doctors with his mum and dad and finds out he has a brain tumour. And obviously, because of the brain tumour, he has to have radiation. But while he's having radiation, that's when, you know, something magical happens. He becomes a superhero to fight the brain tumour because he has to wear his mask. It's a book just to more of a resource, really. So I know that it's something that I wish I had had when Cooper was diagnosed. Um, It's just something that I know that when we wrote this book, that I wanted it to be very factual. I didn't want it to be 
something that they couldn't relate to. I needed the photos and the story to match up. So when the children do go into that room and have a look at the radiation machine and realize they do have to put this mask on, that it's all going to make sense. They're going to go, oh, yes, mum read me that in the book. I know this is going to happen. I tried to use factual words. I didn't want to use another word. I used the words brain tumour, radiation, medication. You know, I tried to be very specific. But we also tried to do it in a way that one didn't scare the children because it's scary enough, but also it left the story open for the parents to talk about. So if the children asked for something else or asked a question, then that opens up the topic of conversation for the parents to have with the children because the children can be aged like four, like Cooper was. They could be 11. So, Mm. you know, the book is catered to everybody's, you know, all children's age, but predominantly it's more for the, yeah, for the younger children just to help explain the process because I think when you actually see that they've got to have this radiation mask and then they're bolted to the table and then they have to lay still for that 20-odd minutes while this this radiation beam is obviously going straight into the tumour. I think that's very scary. It's very daunting. And I know when we were waiting in the waiting rooms, I know that, you know, adults were like, oh, it's so scary. It's horrible. I hate it. And they couldn't understand children having to go through it because they didn't like it themselves. So and especially Mike has his husband. So I'm really proud of what we've created. I know that it's not it's not going to fix or solve anything, but it's certainly going to assist the families in having that really hard conversation. And, you know, we've got the little Mikey the Martian as well with the book. So, you know, they can hold on to that Mikey just as tight and, you know, and hold on to it when they're going in for their radiation. And it's just something that I think will help family and the kids just deal with one of the harder conversations that they will inevitably have. So, Well, I guess the, the, the purpose is that no child should have to go through that journey, but if they're going through that journey, they shouldn't go through in darkness and fear. And I guess that's what you're trying to do is bring some light into a very confronting and confusing situation. Yeah, and I think we were able to achieve that, especially with Nikki's illustrations. She made them, they're very realistic because I did send photos of Mm. Cooper's mask, his hospital bed, like I sent her through all of that. But she's also illustrated in a really light and bright, whimsical sort of way that it makes it look special or, you know, not scary. And I mm. didn't want it to be scary. I, I you know, it's got to be scary enough, but this needs to be able to provide them with some hope really. Because obviously not all brain tumours like Cooper's either are terminal. Some brain tumours, you do have surgery and you, you will have chemotherapy and, you know, and you can have other medication and you can survive it. Mm. Unfortunately, Cooper's just was one of the ones that that's not possible, but that's not the same for every brain tumour. So they are all different. Um, And we did make sure that we did try to include that. So within the illustrations, we have included, you know, all types within the illustrations as well. And the charity that's attached to the book? Yeah, so the charity is called Hand in Hand Fighting Brain Cancer because Kaz realised that you can't 
do this alone. You know, you have to rely on others and that's other charities, other foundations, and we all need to work on this together. Um, I don't think, I think one of her things was you can't beat brain cancer on your own. You know, you have to work together. And I think that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons why she, she did it like that. And her and Mike's wish was to be able to assist families and children diagnosed with brain cancer. And this is just one of the first steps in doing that. So with the purchase and the sales of the book, that's going to enable us to be able to provide little packages for the children that are diagnosed with brain cancer so they we can give them this pack and it has the book and the Mikey and it has all the leaflets, pamphlets, resources for different brain cancer charities, Make-A-Wish, you know, all those sorts of things um, and other little bits and pieces in there as well. So just something really to help the mums and dads as well, make them feel like, you know, they've got a support network. They've got someone where they can pick up a phone and call another charity, another foundation if they needed to, or we can put them in contact with somebody. But it's about knowing that you're not in this alone, that there are other resources, networks out there that can help you through this. Um, so, yeah, that's the big plan. And what a, an incredible plan. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with me and also for the vision that you have, which I think is an incredible vision for helping other families. Can I finish by asking you about your your, can I ask that about your, your the, you, you have a tattoo on your mm, arm? Yes. Um, can you explain what that is? This little one on the wrist? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously, as you know, you plan because they get to, you told the worst. Um, so, I made a point of voice recording Cooper saying all sorts of things, but one of the big things I wanted was to hear him say, I love you, mummy. And I've also done it with, um, for Michael as well. I love you, daddy. And he's done one for his sister and brother and grandparents. Um, but that one there is actually the, I guess, the voice lines recording of him saying, I love you, mummy. And so the, the, um, the sound wave? Yeah, the sound waves. That's the word, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so when I look at that, that's actually the sound waves of him saying, I love you, mummy. So, and yeah, that's something very special that not many people until now know, <laughs> but they do now. Yes. And he was loved. And he, he was. And he did love. Yes, largely. Mm. He, um, he did change a lot of people's lives, um, even to this day, and even... I have to say, even today at work, I had a work colleague come up to me and say, you would not believe what my child came home and told me. She said, we obviously don't know you, don't know your story, but she said, we've always gone down to Cooper's Walk. And she said, and he's like, oh my gosh, mum, you know how we walk on Cooper's Walk? And she's like, yeah. She goes, I heard a story today in school and it's about Cooper. His mum wrote it. And I was like, he must go to Xavier. And she goes, yeah, he does. So, yeah, I know Xavier Catholic College has purchased some of the books and they've been reading them to the kids at school. And she's like, well, guess what? I work with his mum. No way. And so that today was a highlight, I have to say. 
So, mm. yeah. So, for the school even to be reading the story and because obviously Xavier know all about Cooper because that's where he went to kindy and prep when he could. So, to have someone who didn't even know, like he's a, their child's only in prep now, so they didn't know anything about Cooper. But he was so excited. He put the pieces together. He put Cooper's walk together. He put the book together. That's Cooper. Like, and mm. she's like, yeah, I work with his mum. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a very special day today. You, you talked about, you know, um, the impact that Cooper had. From my perspective, and I, I heard of Cooper's story through my wife when, I, when, I, when she first yeah. shared that story with me. And it was a really hard beautiful story to hear about and I don't know if that makes sense to say hard and beautiful no I get it I believe I'm a better father because of Cooper's journey and and I'd like to say thank you because you sharing your story allows people like me to be able to have more empathy and understand yeah the fragility of life and I think that's what his journey tells Mm. us and also the majesty of love Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think after that, you certainly learn not to sweat the small stuff. Um, You certainly realise that in a heartbeat, your life can change. And no one's guaranteed, you know, forever or, you know, even to 80. Like, no one's guaranteed. So... You know, tragedy happens and it strikes even the best of us. And I think you just have to take each day as it comes and you just have to live life. You have to live life. You have to love life. You have to love those around you. Don't be afraid to say I love you like because it can all be taken away in a heartbeat. And I really wouldn't wish it upon anybody. Life short, it's fragile. Amanda, thank you very much for thank sharing. Thank you.